You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. This summer, we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I appreciate hearing from some of you that have already been reading. And I love the questions. I'm telling you, I love the question. And you're going to get, you're going to have some questions reading 1 Corinthians. It's not, it's not always easy to understand some of the context. And I'm happy to try to answer uh, those questions. This is going to be a great season for us uh, to study the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to, and I, I get last week I gave you five questions that I wanted you to keep in front of you. And I believe, I don't know if they're in your handout or not. We gave handouts out. If you don't get, if you haven't gotten one of the handouts, if you'll raise your hand, uh, the ushers will be glad to bring you one. I don't see any hands, so I think we've got everybody covered. But these five questions are uh, the pieces and parts of some of the things that we want to try to answer as we study through uh, 1 Corinthians this summer. Here they are. Number one, how does my commitment to Jesus Christ affect the people around me and the people who know me? In other words, your relationship to Jesus, how is it impacting the people that know you? How are they different, better, worse, confused? Question number two, are people who know me more attracted to Jesus are more confused about what it means to be a Christian because of my life in front of them? As a result of knowing you, are people more attracted to Jesus? Shelly and I talked with a lady yesterday who said, I've never gone to church in my life. Never been a church-going person. Well, I hope that in being involved with her, her seeing the life of Jesus in us or others, that she'll be attracted to Jesus. That's what we're saying. Number three, how much should we allow the world and the culture to affect the way that we believe or live? We're going to talk a good bit about that this morning. Number four, how much of Scripture informs the way that we treat one another? Interact with one another. Raise our children. Spend our money. Make our choices. Then number five, what, when Scripture conflicts with modern thoughts and ideas, how am I most likely to respond? So I get in that tension between the way the world operates and the way the Scriptures say I should live. How likely am I to be on the side of the Scripture? How easily will I be pulled over to a different way of thought and idea? Now by the time Paul gets to writing the book of 1 Corinthians, as I told you last week, Corinth is a major city in Asia Minor. It is the geopolitical capital outside of Rome in the Roman Empire. Because of where the city is located in southern Greece, 
Much of the shipping and trade of that area went through Corinth. It became a melting pot for all kinds of ethnicities and people groups. You had the intellectual elites and you had the poor. You had the free, you had the slave. You had, you had spiritualism and occultism and you had deeply religious Jewish uh, communities. There's a massive economy of shipping and trade. So there's plenty of money, there's prosperity. The regional proconsul of Rome, think about the governor. The proconsul of the Roman Empire lived and operated in, in Corinth. And so if you wanted to get something done, Corinth was the place where you did that. And yet it was a very wicked city. Very wicked in so many different ways. Some we'll talk about as we go through these chapters. But I thought to help you understand why it was so wicked, you needed to understand a little bit about the culture of Corinth and the way that they saw the world. People that I've been studying behind say that Corinth was filled with people who saw the separation of what they did with their bodies and what they did with their mind and their soul. In other words, they believed those were separate. One writer said, in the Roman world, the belief was that the body was distinct from the inner soul and therefore it was of no consequence what one did with their bodies. In Corinth, prostitution was so rampant and was considered a part and privilege of the male species. So you had people who were coming to church from a world where sexual immorality was just the way we do life. And that's why Paul so strongly addresses these issues and is so quick to tell these people that in Jesus Christ, in accepting Christ, they have been freed from their former life. And I think that's one of the reasons this letter is so important. One of the things that I hope happens is that you and I will begin to see how important it is that God be at work in us in a world that has lost its connection with God. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, I thank you for what you're about to do in this room this morning. This is a strong word. It's a powerful word. And I, I just pray now, Father, that you will speak that word by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of every person who's in this room, who's watching online, who's listening to a podcast at some later date. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will penetrate our hearts as only you can and that we will be your living witnesses in a world that is lost without you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody says... When I first came to Lake Erie, one of the first things that I had Heather to do was to research the number of churches in Lake County. And I'm sure it's not an exhaustive list. I'm not here to imply that we have every I dotted, but we found 77 churches in Lake County. And when you think about those, we know many of them. Some of you have come from other churches in the area. You've attended other churches in the past. You have some history or you have family that attends those churches or whatever the case may be. But one of the things that 
that strikes you when you think about that many churches is that they're all different. They have different buildings. Uh, they have different worship styles, different uh, ways that they do church. The people in those, diff- those churches are different from place to place. The focus and activities of the churches are not the same. You know, some churches in Lake County have a really cool, hip youth pastor. We got Dustin. <laughs> and, and you know, some churches in Lake County, they have this, they have this perky worship leader. Rad hair, spiked hair, rad clothes, earbuds all the time. We get Jerome. Every church is different. We wouldn't trade Dustin or Jerome for any of those guys or persons. But every church is different in that regard. And the way that people do church varies from place to place. But remember, I've been doing this a long time. And I'm telling you, it's so interesting how stressed out people get about church when it's not done the way that they're used to it being done. A few years ago, a friend of mine, when I was serving as an administrative bishop, a friend of mine told me he went into a church to resolve a problem. An uproar had occurred in the church, and the board was asking for intervention, and so he went to be a mediator to a dispute in that church. So he sat down with the leaders of the church, and he said, I'm here to try to help. Help me understand what the problem was. Nobody said anything. He said, well, obviously there's a problem. It's why you called me. What what is our problem? Nobody said anything. Finally, a man slapped his hand and said, I'll tell you what the problem is here. The problem is that worship leader right there. That's the problem that we've got. And you can feel the tension, he said, in the room. And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, ask him about the songs that we sang Sunday. Okay. Now, brother, what songs did we sing? And the guy, he's so confused. The worship leader's like, I'm... We sang, uh, we sang uh, uh, Keep on the Firing Line. We sang I'll Fly Away. We sang Blessed Assurance. And then we finished with Amazing Grace. And the, the first guy said, that's it right there. That's it right there. Ask him what they were doing during Amazing Grace. Okay, brother, what were you doing during Amazing Grace? The guy said, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. And the guy irately stands up and said, they were playing the drums. They were playing the drums during Amazing Grace. And over Syria, it's not Amazing Grace if you play the drums. And my friend goes, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. That kind of stupid doesn't sneak up on you. It's Amazing Grace whether you play the drums or you don't play the drums. You see what I'm saying? Every church is different. Every congregation is different. The way that they do things. The point is, it's so easy to become distracted by the differences that we have. And we become polarized. And that's what's happened, not only in the church, but greatly in our society. We're polarized by our differences of opinion to the point that we often do harm to one another and to the kingdom of God. Let me show this to you. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus, one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, we saw someone 
using your name to cast out devils. But we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Jesus said, don't stop him. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to to speak evil of me. And anyone who is not against us is for us. And then Jesus goes on at the continuation and says, you need to be careful that you do not offend one of these little ones that belongs to me because if you do, it would be better for you if you drowned yourself. Because the point is, is that we get sometimes so polarized on our differences and the way we do it in thinking that we are the only ones that do it right. When in fact, there is more than one way to do church. So as we begin this summer series in Corinthians, I want to point out to you that One of the most important verses, and there are several, and I'll be pointing these out as we go along. But one of the most important verses in Corinthians is right here in this first chapter that Mickey read. Verse 30, it's on the screen. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Four things he says there. He says, God united us with Jesus. He made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Turn to your neighbor, look him in the eye and say, Jesus made you right with God. You couldn't do that on your own. You couldn't make yourself right with God because of your sin. It was Jesus who made you right with God and made you holy. You don't don't realize it because you're human. But God determined you to be holy because of Jesus. That holiness is not something that you create. It's something that Jesus does because of Calvary. Because of the cross, we've been made holy. We've been made pure. We've been made freed from our sin. We talked about this some last week. But notice that none of those four things has anything to do with the style of our worship. You can't say that only people in a Pentecostal church are freed from their sin. You can't say that only people who practice liturgical worship style are the ones that are pure and holy. None of that has to do with style of worship. None of it has to do with the location of the church. None of it has to do with the annual budget. The unity and the uniting with Christ Jesus is because of the cross. It's because of...
testimony of redemption. But Todd's not the only one. Everybody in this room is the story of redemption. Everybody here was lost and now we have been found. You know what happens? Every once in a while, I've had these moments in which I'll say to the Lord, how did I get here? How did I get here? I don't mean the car that you drove to get here. I'm talking about how did you get to this place where you get the opportunity to be a representative of God in this world? How did you get to the place where you get to be the person who speaks for God? How do you get to be, how did you get to the place where you get to be the person who represents Him in a lost world? Well, just take a moment and think about it. Think about where you came from. Think about what you were before God saved you. You know, I hear people sometimes bragging about what they were when they were sinners, and it's pitiful to listen to. Because you were nothing before God saved you. You were just going to hell. That's it. Your value, your worth was nothing without Jesus. You got here because there is a God who loved you more than anything and said, I'm not going to let you be lost. I'll put my son on the cross. He'll pay the price for your sin so we can have the kind of relationship that we were supposed to have before the Garden of Eden. Everybody's story here is worth hearing. And I love to hear stories. I love for people to tell me where they've come from. I enjoy getting to know people so that I can hear their story because when you hear a person's story, you understand how powerful the grace of God is and how God spreads His grace to everybody on the face of the earth. Some of you came here this morning from a diseased body that God healed. Some of you came here this morning from your addictions. Some of you came from abusive relationships. Come up, some of you came from painful choices. Some of you came here out of your sinful pride. Some of you came here out of your religious upbringing. But all of us are the, are the one, all of us are one at the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus, no matter where you came from, no matter what your story, no matter what your background, at the cross of Jesus, every one of us are equal. Many years ago, I was in a service one time where a guy was preaching about the mercy of God and he told the story about a man that, that had been a drug addict and, a, and an alcoholic and that he had come to, to salvation. And when he... He was telling that story. I was thinking in myself, I'm so glad that my life wasn't like that. How prideful is that? I'm listening to another man's testimony and thanking God that I wasn't as bad as he was. How ridiculous is that? And almost the moment I said those words, I felt like the Lord said to me, you were just as nasty on the inside. You may have grown up in a preacher's home. You may have lived most of your life around the church. But you were just as lost as he was. 
It doesn't matter what your story is. There's only one thing that unites us. There's only one thing that makes us the true body of Christ. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus gave his life for every one of us. I thought about the words of that old hymn, Through many dangers, tolls, and snares, I have already come. When we come to church like we're here, when we're in the place like this, we remind ourselves we did not get here on our own. We got here because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what unites all of us together. So I want to lift up three very simple, important reminders that come out of this chapter that I want you to see. Here's the first one. The success of any church. And since we're talking about Lake Erie, let's just say Lake Erie. The success of Lake Erie is realized in the power of the cross. The success of Lake Erie is recognized or realized in the power of the cross of Jesus. You see, the church at Corinth had a missions problem. Instead of changing the world, the world's culture was changing the church. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that they are hung up on identity. They're hung up. They're obsessed with their identity. And isn't that about where we're living in America right now? Everybody's hung up about identity, whether it be sexual identity or whether it be personal identity. Everybody's obsessed about identity. But can I just tell somebody that will hear me this morning, you only have your identity in Jesus. Your identity isn't something you do. It's something God does in you. You become children of God because of the cross. And in a church like Lake Erie that is so incredibly diverse, I mean, you don't always see what I see, but this is such a distinctly diverse congregation of people. Let me show it to you. Melvin Rankin, stand up. One of our elders, Melvin Rankin. Alexis Welch, stand up. Lady sings on our worship team. Ricky Irizarry, stand up. So there's a brown skin and a white skin and a dark skin. Charles Mullen, stand up. One of the founding families in our church. Israel Irizarry, stand up. Where are you? Having to sit by mama today, I'm sorry. There's a young man, 15, 16. How old are you? 83. Six generations that attend Lake Erie. Ashley Rivers, stand up. One of the young mothers, young women in our church. Eric King, stand up. See, we are a very diverse congregation of people. And there's only one thing that unites us. I guarantee you these people don't go to the same restaurants. They don't have the same sleeping habits. They don't spend their money the same way. They don't like the same television programs. But there is one thing that unites them. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the cross of Calvary 
no matter what the color of your skin, no matter how old or young, no matter what kind of career you're on, you are in the family of God and your identity is in Jesus. Thank you. You can all be seated. You see, the church at Corinth was obsessed with their identity and who they identified with. Have you ever been in a place where somebody was talking to you and somebody else came and they just left you and went to that person? Because they decided it'd be more advantageous for them to be associated with somebody else? You see, that's the way the church at Corinth was. They, they, they were people who were, they were upwardly mobile. They came out of a culture that glorified personalities. Who you were identified with. It was a culture that was obsessed with me. And they wanted to be noticed. And they made the pursuit of their identity something that they wanted people to notice them. And not much has changed because in 2023, it's still that way. I watched someone the other day on the news and they were, you know, they were in a protest about something because they want me to identify them. They want me to notice them. They want me to celebrate who they are irregardless of how I feel about it. They feel that I have to celebrate what they are. And so they dress in this provocative, outlandish way. You know what it is? Notice me. See me. Because I have this need to be identified. I need to identify myself. And I'm pleading with you. I'm preaching to you today out of a heart of burden. Don't let this culture drag you into that kind of pursuit. You are identified today. You are identified with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you're against anybody. It doesn't mean you hate anybody. It simply means that I choose to be identified with Jesus Christ and let myself be known that I belong to Him. These identity issues at Corinth were rooted in the failure of the people to understand that the message of the cross is how we're identified and that's what Paul told them. Listen, you weren't a whole lot before God found you. Now you are a part of the body of Christ. Don't go back to that other. Don't go chasing that other. You don't have to be what somebody else says you're supposed to be. You can be who God has called you to be. You and I can never forget that Jesus found us lost in our sin. And without hope, but by the cross of Jesus Christ, we are now his family. You dig into the church at Corinth, you find that these people had bought into the culture of their time. And they got divided over the most insignificant stuff. Early on, Paul says, you folks won't fellowship with each other because you're partitioned off into little cliques based on who was preaching when you got saved. Some of you say, I'm from Apollos. That was the preacher when I got saved. Some of us say, I'm with Paul. But Paul said, you're missing the point. It doesn't matter who was preaching when you got saved. It's the fact that you got saved. It doesn't matter what church you were raised up in. It was the fact that you got saved. 
and they claim sort of a superiority based on their relationships with certain people. Isn't that the way the world operates today? It's about me. It's about my social media presence, about the number of followers I have on my network. It's about my friends. It's about the people that I know. That's the way the church at Corinth operated. And if we're not careful, that same culture will get into the church. And we'll start partitioning ourselves based on our own individual proclivities to things. And we miss the point that Jesus did not save us so that we would be divided. He saved us so we would be united. That we would come together around the cross. But we still do it, don't we? We even do it in large scale. We tell people, I'm Pentecostal. I'm Baptist. Now the new one out there now is I am non-denominational. As if that is some sort of superior spiritual context. Can I tell you this? There is no line in heaven for Pentecostals. There is no line for Baptists or non-denominationals. They're just one family of God. And we've got to be able to worship together. We've got to be able to love one another. We've got to be able to work together because we're all going to the same heaven. In fact, you're probably going to live in the same neighborhood of people you won't associate with here down on earth. You're going to be swapping cake recipes with somebody you wouldn't even go to church with. The success of the church, the success of this church is the realization that it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the story of Jesus that makes us who we are. Here's the second statement. When our differences are big, the gospel becomes small. When our differences are big, the gospel becomes small. Because when we focus on what we want in a church, we forget its mission. I'll say that again because that one slipped by you, I'm sure. When we focus on what we want in the church, we forget about its mission. The people of Corinth had emptied out the cross of its power by their divisions and created the assumption that the gospel was just something that they did on the weekend. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he said, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted seed in your heart. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. You know, I tell pastors, in fact, I'll be with pastors in the far west this week doing a conference out there and near Seattle, I tell pastors all the time, there is way too much ego in the pulpit. Because we act like somehow or another that we're the ones that are responsible for people being saved. We, we get caught up in this idea of who we are. Pastoring and preaching is such an upfront public place that you have to be careful that you don't miss the point that you're nothing without the Lord. You know, I, 
I was standing at the door, not at our door, which is not anybody here, but I was standing at the door to church a while back years ago, and this guy came by, and he said, oh, I'm telling you, man, wow, you're the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just a preacher that you heard. I've had people say, oh, you're, you're the best pastor. No, no, I'm not. I'm not the best pastor. I'm just one of the pastors you've had. And here's, what, here's the reality of this. And this, this, this shake you up a little bit. You know, you, you think, well, I'm, I'm the only guy my wife will ever love. Well, let me tell you something. If something happened to you, she'll get married again. She'll find another man. She'll tell him the same thing she's telling you right now. And she'll mean it. We're just somebody in this space that God is using for His glory as long as our heart is right. And when our time is up, if the Lord tarries, somebody else will be standing here. Somebody else will be preaching the gospel. They'll love God. They'll love you just as much as I do. It's not about a personality. It's not about a person. It's always going to be about Jesus. It's always about the cross. You're not here to, be, to, be, uh, to hear Bill Isaacs. You're here to hear about Jesus. You're not here to worship with Jerome. You're here to worship Jesus. It's always about him and the success of the church. And the mission of the church has to be about Jesus. When our differences get large, when we get caught up in, I don't like it that way. I don't like the way we do that. We get caught up in those kind of things. Then the gospel gets very small. Because it doesn't matter if the lights are high or low. It doesn't matter if the music's loud or soft. It doesn't matter if, the, if, if it's too cold or too hot. It's about did Jesus show up today? Was the presence of the Lord in the house? Did somebody get healed? Was there something that happened for the kingdom of God? It doesn't mean that your preferences aren't important. It doesn't mean that we don't want people to be comfortable. But those differences are not more important than the fact that Jesus was in the house. Here's the third and final one. And it's the fact that without Jesus, without the cross, none of this matters. The church at Corinth had fallen into the habit, you'll read it later in the chapters, they had fallen into the habit of looking at church as just being a social gathering for like-minded people. The church was just a social obligation on their calendar. But when the cross of Jesus Christ is the dominant theme, when we focus on who Jesus is, what we realize is that at Calvary's cross, we were radically changed by the power of God. I mean, you can tell when somebody's radically changed. You can tell when Jesus has become the Lord over somebody's life because there's a radical shift in the way that they are, the radical shift in the way they treat one another. They become transformed by the power of God. Paul keeps insisting to the Corinthian church that adding Jesus is not like just adding an accessory to an already good wardrobe. That Jesus is the wardrobe. That Jesus is the new life. And that in accepting Jesus, the old man has died and a new man, new woman has been born. I know I quote this verse a lot to you, but in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, The old self 
has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I need you to hear me say this because I'm obligated to tell you this. But if the gospel conversion of your life does not extend to every moment of your life, then Jesus is too small for If the gospel conversion of faith in your life doesn't cause you to treat people differently after you are saved, then your gospel was too small. If your conversion does not change your sinful habits, if you're still doing the same things that you did, the gospel is too small. This Corinthian church failed to appreciate and grasp the weight and the power of Calvary's cross. Some of them failed to appreciate how much the gospel had changed them and how different they were. And as they went out into the world, they failed to appreciate that the journey of faith that we have in Jesus will never make sense to the world. Some of your friends think you're crazy. They think you're nuts because you go to church, you're always talking about Jesus. And let me just say very carefully Quietly, the world does not know how to handle believers. I, I, I was in a place the other day and, and somebody said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a, I'm a minister. And they went, oh my God. I'm so sorry. I said, well, you know what? Here's the deal. If you can say it in front of God, why would you be worried to say it in front of me? He said, well, that's a point. I said, you want to curse, curse. But it's not me you got to worry about. I was reading a, a book this week, in fact, in my devotions, and this guy was, he, had, he was about to be interviewed for one of the news one of the news channels that we watch. They pre-interviewed him and they brought him on the set and they were about to talk to him. And the guy said, I think we have a problem. The producer said, we have a problem. He said, what's the problem? He said, well, I should have done this before you flew in here, but I Googled you and I found out you're a Christian. And the guy said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm just not sure that we can accommodate that worldview in our newscast." The world is so uncomfortable with what it means to be a believer. And you have to ask yourself a lot. There's a lot of different reasons and context of why that is. Some of it is the spirit of the age. What Paul says is the spirit of antichrist, which is already at work in the world. In some cases, I think it's the, the duplicity and the hypocrisy that some people have seen with the alignment of Christian values in a way that causes Christianity to be a political wing. And it causes people to think that all Christians have a political agenda. And while we stand for what's right and while we stand for Scripture and we stand for truth, we're not enemies of the world in the sense of our desire to love the world. We are enemies of the spirit of the age. But we love 
everybody. Christianity is a gospel message for every person. No matter where you go, no matter what you do with your life, the message of Jesus is reaching toward you. And Jesus loves you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done in your life, it is the message of Jesus and the cause of Christ. And it's never going to be popular in the world. That's why you have to make a choice. That's why you have to decide if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Because the moment that you choose Jesus, you set yourself in opposition to the spirit of the age. And there will be persecution. There will be persecution. Let's finish with this thought. Paul said that because of this gospel, because of what God has done for us, none of us can boast. And if we were to boast, what would we boast about? I mean, is there anything that you and I could actually boast about In regard to who we are in Christ Jesus? No. What credit could any of us take for what we have become today through Jesus Christ? Because without the cross, none of this matters. If there's no cross, if there's no Jesus, none of these songs make sense. If there's no cross and there's no Jesus, this building could be a VFW hall. It doesn't matter. The only thing that unites us, the only thing that draws it all together, the only thing that cohesively holds it in place is the cross and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's the reason the enemy fights so hard. He hates the cross. He hates Calvary. He doesn't want Jesus preached. He doesn't want the story of Jesus declared. And whatever he can do, however he can disrupt, however he can divide us. You know, I've said many times in many different types of settings to people, I've said, you know, it's not that the devil thinks that you're going to go buy a gun and rob a store and kill somebody. He knows that you are too close to God to do that. He knows that your values are different than that. You won't do that probably. So how is he going to fight you? He's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to get your eyes on something else. Why won't that woman speak to me? Why won't that guy talk to me? And what happens is you get your eyes... It's kind of like if you're looking in one direction, like I'm looking right here and I'm going toward Jesus and all of a sudden I just get diverted just a little bit. And now I'm not looking at Jesus anymore, I'm looking over here. And that little bit of distraction then becomes the divider. And that's what the devil wants, is divide. Jesus came to unite us. The devil came to divide us. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.